Well, I don't know about you, but I love to, to read God's Word, and I hope that you do that on a daily basis. I hope that every day you get up out of bed and you pick up God's Word at some point in the morning and you read some. And maybe that looks different for every person in this room. Maybe some of you are reading through the Bible in a year, and so you're reading about three and a half chapters a day. Maybe some of you have chosen to read just a chapter a day. Maybe some of you have chosen to read five, ten verses a day. Whatever you choose to do, I hope that you're doing that on a daily basis. So I want to preface what I'm going to go through this evening with, this is not what I do every morning. When we're talking about studying the Bible, uh, I'm usually at a desk or a table, and I've got books spread out, and I may have my iPad over here with some stuff, and I've got a lot of stuff going on. I don't have an opportunity to do that every single morning, okay? So don't think, oh my word, no, it's not like that. Trust me, it's not like that at all. But if I, can, if I can really just get two, three, four hours to go somewhere and get a table and just lay all my stuff out, I love it. And, and that's what we want to talk about tonight is really studying God's Word and the difference in studying and just reading um, sometimes can be a bit of a fine line. But overall, I think studying is really just trying to dig deeper into what exactly God is saying in the text. I had an opportunity years ago to go with my wife. We were dating at the time, and a pastor friend of mine, we drove down to Birmingham, Alabama. We went to the church of Brook Hills, and we listened to David Platt in one of his secret churches. Now, if you've never heard of that, he would do these secret churches. There wasn't much of a secret because they put billboards out about it. But it was six hours. It started at midnight. And for six hours, David Platt would just get up there, and he would, I don't even know, he would just word vomit for six hours, all of this information that he has. And he's got one of the most unbelievable minds I've ever seen or heard. As a matter of fact, I told Josiah, I think he has a photographic memory because he saw a bunch of stats on the TV and three hours later quoted them. So I, I think he, that's cheating. But anyways, <laughs> he said while we were down there, and, and this has always stuck with me in, in regards to studying God's word. He said, you know, oftentimes we take a verse and we take it out of context. And it's really simple to do. And he said, you know, I was at an Alabama-Auburn football game. By the way, if you've never been to an Iron Bowl, it's a crazy environment. I've been to two of them, and it's unbelievable. But he was down there, and he said he noticed that one of the Alabama football players had a wristband on, and on that wristband it said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so he rallied his guys together, and they all started hooping and hollering, and this guy's leading the charge saying, we're going to win this football game. And he looks on the other end of the field, and there's an Auburn football player, and he's got a wristband on. It said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he rallies his boys together, and he says, we're going to win this football game. And he said, now, the issue here is either God is in a quandrum of which team he's going to bless, or they've taken the verse completely out of context. I would submit to you they took the verse out of context. And he said, you know, Paul, interestingly enough, was actually chained to a Roman guard when he wrote that, and he didn't know if he was going to be alive the next day. And he said, you know, I've got a lady in my church whose husband just died, and she's got four small children. He said, she can quote the verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, because it fits more of the context of how Paul was writing this as he was going through the hardest trial he had ever gone through. And so as we study God's word, it's really important. I know Josiah set it up great last week to talk about context. And so what I want to do tonight is really use those same, thir- same, same things. He talked about observe, interpret, and apply. I want to use those same three things, but I want to talk a little bit about pulling in resources. That could be a Bible dictionary. It could be a Bible atlas. It could be a concordance. It could be a commentary, and we'll talk about those things as the evening goes on, but when do we use them, and how do we use them? Well, I took a hermeneutics class, which is you know how to study God's Word, and, and in that class, The teacher said, good Bible study leads to good Bible teaching. And he gave seven steps to good Bible teaching. I'm going to give you the first five, because the first five are all about just good Bible study. The last two applied to teaching. So I just want to give you what he gave us, because I think that these things, if we'll utilize these things, I think will really help us. So number one, read. What do you read? You read the text. He said, my professor said at least 20 times. This is Dr. Shackelford over here at Mid-America. I have found that when I go to teach a passage of Scripture that I like to read it over and over and over, almost to the point of memorization. And over the past probably 18 months, I've gotten to where I not only read it, but when I'm in my truck, I listen to it. I'm just listening to the Word. What does Psalm 1 tell us? To meditate on God's Word day and night. 
okay? I want to chew on it. I want to think about it. As a matter of fact, the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6 says that we are supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but then we're to take that word and we're to teach it to our children. You say, when do we teach them? Well, it says, when you rise up and when you walk along the road and when you lie down. I think that's all throughout the day. And so what I've gotten to do is where I'm just reading this text over and over and over, and it's amazing. I can read it five, ten times on Monday and pick it up on Tuesday and read it five or ten times and feel like I, found, I, I read something I never read before. You know why? Because God's Word's alive. It's alive, and it speaks to us. So read it. And what I would encourage you when you study it, what happens oftentimes is people get commentaries that they trust, and we'll talk about these, and they'll oftentimes just read the text really quickly, and they'll go straight to a commentary. Here's the issue with that. Now your theology is built on somebody else's theology. Because what you say you believe is what somebody else has told you they believe. I would rather get in the word of God, understand the context of it, and begin to understand how it needs to be interpreted for today and how it applies to me, and then come back to the commentary and make sure I didn't just come up with some heresy. (laughs) This is almost like a fact checker. We use commentaries at the end. And by the way, I learned that from Brother Steve about eight years ago when I asked him, at what point in your sermon prep do you use commentaries? He said, oh, good night, once the whole thing's written. I then go back and use these things. I thought, wow, that's not what most people do. So read the text over and over and over. Secondly, observe. Observe words and sentences. What what I would encourage you to do, if you were going to take six verses, by the way, my professor, one of my professors uh, over at the seminary said, if you try to take more than six verses, you've cut off something you're not going to be able to handle, okay? So we're going to look at 10 tonight, so please don't tell him, okay? But anyways, he says, try to take five, six, seven verses and really dig into them. And what he says to do is observe words and sentences. As a matter of fact, he says, for each verse you read, try to pick out three, four, five, six words or phrases so I'm now really starting this thing where when I, when I read a, a phrase that I've read somewhere else, I'm trying to keep note of that and write every place that I've seen those. When it says, um, the word of the Lord says, I like to write that down. When he says, thus saith the Lord, I like to write that down and just see that, that thread that's woven through Scripture. So, so you're observing words. You're really just kind of looking at it. You're pondering on it. And by the way, if you do that after you've read it, 15, 20, 30 times, it's amazing how different things will jump out at you. So observe words and sentences. Then he says, ask questions based on your observations. So you've read this this word, you say, you know, I really don't know what that means. And so now you begin to ask questions. You just begin to write these questions down, almost like a journal, okay? I don't care how you do it. You could type it in your computer or however, but you're beginning to ask questions. What does this mean? Is this applicable applicable to me? What was the context here? You begin to just ask question after question after question, and you begin to build all of these questions that now you look at the text and say, wow, I know less about this than I thought I did when I started. And then you meditate. And I think this is a piece that oftentimes we miss. But he says to meditate on his word day and night, to think about it, to ponder it. I'm sure you've heard the illustration of how the cow chews cud. And he chews and he chews and he chews till he's got just about all the nutrients out of that vegetation that he's chewing, and he swallows it. And then the acids in that first stomach begin to break down the vitamins and stuff from that grass that he needs. And then, I'm not trying to gross you out, but he actually spits that back up into his mouth and he chews on it a little bit more. And then he swallows it, goes into his second stomach. And what he's doing is he's getting absolutely every piece of vitamin and nutrient out of that grass. And so for you and I, if we expect to read 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes in the morning and that be sustainable for us throughout the day, we've missed the whole thing because he says to meditate on it. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more. Think and pray about it, what you have observed and asked. What I've started doing once I write my questions down is I begin praying those questions to the Lord. Lord, I don't understand this. What does this mean? Lord, I now, not like Job, I'm not questioning, God, are you sure you know what you're doing? I'm just saying, Lord, you're infinite and I'm finite. In other words, you know all, I know nothing. And I'm gonna need you to show me what you're saying here. And then number five, dig. Begin a search on what others have discovered in the text. So once you've begun to develop these things and say, you know what? When Paul was writing 
to some of these churches, we first have to understand what was going on in these churches that warranted him writing those specific things. If you look in Ephesians, he writes things differently than he does in Philippians. If you look at Philippians, he writes things differently because he understood the context of what was going on in the church. And so it's important that we gather that context and we begin to ask questions in regard to that context. So I want you to keep these five things right there in the back of your mind as we begin to look at these resources, okay? And I'm just going to give you... the. They're not a one, two, three order. These are just some different resources that I want to encourage you to begin to utilize if you're not already doing that. Number one is a group going through God's word. Everyone needs a group. We all do. That could be a life group. That could be a discipleship group. That could be an accountability group. It's a group of people, two, three, four, 15, 20 people that are going through God's word and they're going through it with an intentionality. Okay? They have the same desire. I remember getting into a discipleship group years ago, and the guy that was leading the group kind of went around and asked everybody what they wanted to get out of the discipleship group. And it was about 15 minutes into that that I realized I don't belong in this group at all. Because I was a young college guy. I was probably 19, 20 years old. Some of these guys were seniors. A couple of them were, um, were, were graduate assistants on the basketball team. They were further in their faith. They had obviously had a really deep time with the Lord for a couple of years. And I realized I'm not in the same boat as these guys. They're talking about wanting to read the entire Bible in three months. Okay, I hadn't read the entire Bible in three years. All right? I really wasn't in a place where I really fit with this group. So find a group of people that you can go through it together and that you can encourage one another and that you can hold each other accountable. Accountability is everything. If you don't think accountability is important, I want you to think just for a moment of the 12 disciples. Jesus takes 12 disciples for three years and he has them, I want you to think about it, he had them every day for three years. They went everywhere with him. So let's say they slept eight hours a night. I don't know if they did or not, but let's say they did. Okay, that means 16 hours a day they were together for three years. You want to know what happened at the end of Jesus' life? One of them betrayed him. One of them denied him. The other ten ran away in fear. And they had accountability. So how much more do you think we need? We need that. I need people around me that are pushing me and encouraging me. I value that and I need that. Okay, next thing here is other versions of Scripture. You may say, well, I'm a King James only. You know what? That's fine. If King James is what you like, great. I'll be honest with you. Most of the verses I have memorized are in the King James. I think King James Version is easier to memorize than the other because it's not language we use on a daily basis. And so to me, it just kind of sticks out, and I can memorize it quicker than others. Um, I like to read from the CSB. I love the NASB 95. There's a few different versions out there, okay? Don't get just stuck in this because what happens is... When you're doing your reading, and what I've found is I like to read in about three or four different versions, it's amazing someone can just take and use a different word. For instance, the CSB that we'll see right here in, Roman, uh, in uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 7, uses the word gratitude. It's a great word. But the NASB uses the word thankfulness. That fits me, but I understand that word a little bit better. And it just, it hit me differently. I read gratitude 20 times. I read thankfulness, and I thought, wow, that's it. I'm missing that piece in my life. And so I would encourage you as you're reading, when you read it 15 or 20 times, use a couple different versions, okay? And by the way, if you ever notice when pastor preaches, oftentimes, typically, and I'm using that tonight, he uses the NASB 95. That's what, the 1995 version is what he uses typically when he's preaching in any setting. But occasionally, you'll see him put a verse up on the screen, and it'll say CSB, or it'll say NLT, and that's another version. I asked him about that one time, and he said, you know what, sometimes it just gives a different punch. And so I'd encourage you to, to use some different versions, and, and don't be tied to that. We can become so, oh, we can get tied into our traditionalism, and next thing we know, we're stuck. Okay, Bible Atlas. You say, are you kidding me? As a matter of fact, this is the Bible Atlas that I use in my office. And when I study, and it's full, I mean, this thing is chocked full of all kinds of stuff. But when I'm reading that Paul was writing from Rome, and he's writing to Colossia and Laodicea, I'm like, okay, what, what, what does that even mean? And I pull up the map, and I see, okay, this is where Paul was out on his missionary journey. And it all begins to tie all of these things together as I see all of these names of all of these cities that I've heard him talk about. 
but I see them on a map. So Bible Atlas, you say, do you spend a lot of time on that? No, I don't memorize it or anything. I just like a visual. I like to be able to see where things happen, and then I like to look at it in today's in today's map, what does it look like? Where, where was Paul when he wrote this? Who was he writing to? What's going on in that country today? So a Bible atlas is, is something you can use. A dictionary. Now, by the way, we're going to get to a Bible dictionary. This is a regular dictionary. You say, do you need a regular dictionary? Well, I'm not the most learned person, okay? I'm going to get real vulnerable for just a moment. My wife and I are reading a devotional together at night, Okay? And I'm reading, I typically read it, okay? And I, I'm not the best reader, okay? And so I'm reading, and I just stop on this word, and I'm like, and she could tell, like, I'm formulating it in my mind. And what I realized was I had never seen that word on paper. And the word, you're going to laugh, it gets better, trust me. The word was compromise. And I kept saying, compromise. <laughs> and I said it about three times, and she finally was like, I think it's compromise. I'm like, Really? So I need a dictionary, okay? I need a dictionary. By the way, if I typically read a book, I, typically have, I, I usually have a dictionary, and the reason is if you just take the word love, we love everything. I love a cheeseburger. I love my life group. I love my dog. I, but I love them differently than I love my wife, right? And so we use these words flippantly, and so sometimes we just read a word and we just say, well, that's what it means. Well, not necessarily. Hold your horses. And so I'll pull out a regular dictionary, and I'll say, well, what does Webster have to say about it? Okay, and then I'll pull in a Bible dictionary. Okay, you say, you know, do you have one here? Um, I do. I use uh, this um, Vine, um, an expository dictionary of biblical words. Every word that you can find in the Bible will be in this book, and you open it up, and it'll show you different definitions based off where it's used in Scripture. So, whether it's coming from the Hebrew or from the Greek. You say, do I have to use all those things? No. I'm going to just give you a bunch of stuff, and I'm going to teach you just a little bit of how to use these things, okay? So a Bible dictionary. Okay, the next thing is a concordance, a concordance. Similar to a dictionary, you can take this concordance, you can open it up, and you can find any word that you find in the Bible. It's going to show that word listed in every uh, verse that it's used in the Bible, then you can turn to the back and it'll lay it out for you, whether it's in the Greek or the Hebrew. And I personally told Josiah, I love to use the Strong's exhaustive concordance of the Bible. My dad gave me this when I was 13 years old. It's the same one that I'm still using today. And I love to get at a desk or a table and open this thing up and really use it. Because oftentimes we immediately associate a word with what our knowledge of the word is. I'm not talking about the Bible. I'm talking about just an individual word. And so I would encourage you to utilize these things. When you think you know what it means, you may just want to double check. And so a concordance. And then the last thing I want to give you right here is a commentary. Okay, a commentary. Now, I already said this, but I want to caution you to not run to commentaries first. Okay? Now, I'm not going to use any preacher's name when I say this. But oftentimes I hear someone say, this is what I believe. And then when pushed a little bit and asked the question, why do you believe that? They say, well, because my preacher so-and-so says so. That's not a good enough answer. Because guess what? They're just a human being. The answer should be, this is what God says. And so we've got to really be careful just running to man all the time to be able to show us exactly what God's word says. Okay? We utilize these things, but remember, reading anything other than the Bible is just like eating chicken. You chew up the meat, and you spit out the bones. And so what we have to do is take other things that we read, and we have to align it with Scripture and say, does this line up? So just because you read it in a commentary doesn't mean it's truth. Are we all on the same page? Also with commentaries, it's very typical that people will buy a complete series of commentaries. So so so-and-so wrote a commentary on every book of the Bible, 66 books. So he's got 66 commentaries on the whole Bible, okay? a lot of people will caution you from buying that entire series. Here's why. Do you really think one man knows everything about the whole Bible? But a lot of these guys have spent their entire PhDs and entire careers focused in on one book of the Bible. And they've got a whole lot of knowledge about that because they've spent a lot of time really digging in. And so what they really encourage you to do is buy individual commentaries. And Noah Siddham, who will teach the very last week, going to be the smartest of the four of us. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. But he, he gave me this book a few years ago. Actually, this is his copy because mine's in my office and I can't find it. I, I'm, uh, 
Noah's like, oh, that's book 321, and I'm like, okay, there's a mountain of books in my office. So, but, but you literally just flip in here, it says Hosea, and underneath there, he guides you with what are the best commentaries out there. It's called Preaching Tools. It's written by a great professor. His name's David Allen, and I love this. And I'll pull it open, and I'll, I'll say, okay, which one do I need to look this up with? So I would highly, I don't even know how, it was $15, I think, on Amazon. You can probably get it cheaper, okay? But I'd highly encourage you to look at something like this. You say, okay, you've given us a whole lot of stuff. When do we use those things? How do we use those things? Well, I'm so glad you asked. A group going through God's Word, you use all the time. We need godly people around us. We need to be in a group of people. All throughout the book of Acts, you see these house churches popping up, and you see them not being isolated and going through life together uh, by themselves. Elijah tried that in the Old Testament, and he spent most of his time just frustrated and saying to the Lord, I'm the only one. The Lord finally had to show him he had hundreds of others, right? And so that's why we're not supposed to be isolated. You know what isolation brings? It brings temptation, it brings discouragement. It brings division. So we come together. We always need a group of people that we go, uh, that we're going through God's word with. When you're reading the text, use other versions of scripture. That's, that's when you utilize other versions of scripture. So if you're going to read it two or three or four times or ten times, use a couple different versions of scripture. I would recommend using the CSB. It's a very modern language translation, and it's a good translation. You can look at the NLT. You can use the NASB. Uh, you can use the ESV. There's some great versions out there. And uh, so I would encourage you to read it in multiple different ones. Okay, now what about these next four? Well, these are when you're asking questions. When you're, when you're looking at those first five things at the top of the page and you're just going through and you're asking these questions, I got in there today and I was looking at Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to look at it in just a moment, verse 1. But it actually mentions three different groups of people that Paul writes to. And I just I haven't caught that before. I'm sure you did. But it says, uh, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf. So right there, he's writing to the church of Colossia, and he's writing to the believers. So he's writing to the, to the Christians at that church. But notice what he says next. He says, and for those who are at Laodicea. So I pulled up on the atlas. Those cities are side by side. So he's writing to the Christians at the church of Colossia. He's also writing to the Christians at the church of Laodicea. But what we'll also find out if we read to the end, and for all those who have not personally seen my face. In other words, he's writing to those, those Christians, the ones that had seen him, but he's also writing to the ones he's never even met. You say, is that really important? Well, he's not just writing to an individual. He's making sure he's hitting each one of the categories to make sure no matter where you're at in your Christian walk, I'm addressing you. And that's important. It's important that we see that. And so as I used in that, I used a Bible atlas so I could see where they were at. And then I used a Bible dictionary just to see that word Laodicea. What did that city mean and where was it, uh, what, what, was, what was significant about that, okay? And then lastly, when you're digging, and that's when you're like, you're kind of towards the end, you're really starting to just try to draw some things out. You've drawn some things out on your own. You've, you've written some things down, and now you say, okay, what are some other godly people saying about this text? That's when you utilize the commentaries, okay? I know that's a lot. I showed you a couple things that I used. Um, this is a commentary I use. I use Matthew Henry's. I love Matthew Henry. Now, he's written the, his in, 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 along with the King James Version, so you've got to love the King James Version to really get into this. If you don't like that, this is probably not for you. I like the King James Version, so I really enjoy that. A good study Bible, okay? We got one of the best bookstores. Well, and by the way, it's about one of the only Bible bookstores we got left in the country because everything else is closed down. But anyways, that's beside the point, and that's another soapbox. But we got a great bookstore over here. If you don't have a study Bible, I would encourage you to get one. This is one of uh, my staff members one time bought this for me, and it's the Spurgeon Study Bible. I love it. It's got Spurgeon's notes on all this stuff, and I really enjoy that. I've got a John MacArthur Study Bible, and I'll have those open. These are in two different versions, and I like to read that stuff at the bottom, okay? So get you a good study Bible. Noah, on the last week, is going to talk about a reference Bible and how to use those things, and I would highly encourage you to do that. Then over in our bookstore, I'm going to show you this real quick, and then we're going to get into this. 
Bookstores sell some different things. This is the New American Commentary. It's on Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. This is a great book, and this book over there is 25 bucks. If you don't have a commentary on Colossians, I would encourage you to get it. We sell this in the bookstore. And by the way, I'm not trying to get you to buy stuff. I'm just trying to show you that there's a ton of stuff out there. There's a ton of stuff out there, okay? This is the Tony Evans Study Bible and Commentary. It's excellent. We sell this in the bookstore, the Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary, and this will hold your door open, too. If, if, if it's stuck, it's, uh, it's about 30 bucks. And then uh, I showed you mine. It's really old, but this is the Strong's Concordance. We sell all these things at the bookstore, okay? But I want to make sure that you know there is tons of free stuff online. There's tons of free stuff online. And I want to give you two of them real quick right here. And I think I can do this really easily. I believe I can. Noah, you're going to probably have to help me. This is called Blue Letter Bible. If you're not familiar with it, it is fantastic. All right, and I'm going to show you really quickly how to use this. You can go right up top right here, and I'm going to type in the word Colossians, and I'm just going to type in chapter 2, verse 1, and hit return. And that was in the King James Version, so we're going to leave it right there. You see over there to the left it says tools? I can click on that, and it gives me all this stuff. You notice right here, there's all the Greek it breaks it down in the Greek. You say, I can't read Greek. You don't have to. It puts the English word right beside it. I just took two semesters of Greek. I can't speak it either, so you're fine. Okay, it's got all these different versions of the Bible. You see them, King James Version, New King James, and you've got it all right there together. It's got cross-references. Where does this tie into other verses in the Bible? So that's a great thing. It's got all different types of commentaries right here. As a matter of fact, there's J. Vernon McGee. We were just talking about it. I love J. Vernon McGee. Um, it's got uh, Matthew Henry over here. It's got some great commentaries. It's got your dictionary right here, and it's got a bunch of dictionaries. You just click on one, and then you click on the word you want to see. And then I love this miscellaneous tab. You can see there's the Atlas stuff that I was just talking about. And as a matter of fact, I don't know if that'll work if I can zoom in, but if you look over there, so here would, been, would have been Paul way up here, okay? And here's where he wrote way down here. You say, does that really matter? Well, this red stuff is all along the path that he took. And so we saw that on one of his missionary journeys, he went up there and he saw all those people. So that's a great resource, Blue Letter Bible. Another one is just simply openbible.info, openbible.info. And right at the top right here, you'll see these different headings, and one of them says Topical Bible. If you click on that, there's a search bar. You can search whatever you want. Let's just search God's grace. Click go. Whoop, click find out. I'm sorry. And every word, every verse that talks about God's grace is right there. Now, I just want to say to you that I carry a Bible promise book in my backpack and in that Bible promise book is just these different uh, discouragement, finances, marriage, faith, freedom, these different words. And you turn to that page and it's got all these verses on that particular subject. That's what this is. I don't, can't think of a greater asset to you as a believer that when Satan comes knocking and he throws a fiery dart with whatever it is, that to be able to take something like this, and be able to type in here discouragement and then just be able to quote those verses to the devil. Because I don't know if you know this, but in Matthew chapter 4, that's exactly what Jesus did. And in verse 11, it says the devil fled and God sent angels to minister to Jesus. I don't know about you, I don't like the devil and I would love for angels to minister to me. Jesus did that with scripture. And so that's why we're digging into this. So these are just two simple um, things that you can use, and I hope that you may add that in and utilize that. Okay, what I want to do is I want to read the first few verses in Colossians chapter 2, and then I want you to do a little bit of work at your table right there, okay? So here it is. Colossians 2, verses 1 through 10. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself." in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Why do we look anywhere else for wisdom and knowledge when it says all of them are hidden in Christ? Verse 4, I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. 
For even though I am absent in the body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. You say, Derek, that was a lot. And it was. That's a lot of really good stuff. What does it all mean? Well, I can tell you as I read this, I don't know how many words I circled and highlighted, partly because I don't know what some of them mean, and so I had to look them up, and partly because I said, that word is interesting. What is it calling me to do? What is it saying about the people there? What is the significance of that actual word? So here's what I want us to do. I forgot to grab one of those papers, and I think, let me grab this one right here. Thank you so much. What I want us to do at our tables, just for a few moments, is I want you to observe just like Josiah showed you last week. We've read the text. Maybe you're going to put your eyes on it again. And here's the deal. Maybe your table just says, we're going to take one verse. That's fine. You're not trying to get through all 10 verses, okay? Maybe it's a verse or two. I don't care. But I want you to read it, and then I want you to observe it, and I want you just to make some observations right here. Uh, Josiah put some things down here. Read and take notes on the facts of the text. What does the text say? What stands out? What is going on? What key themes rise from the text? So I just want you to write some questions down. Discuss it as a table right there together of what just jumps out of you. Maybe it's a word. Maybe it's a phrase. Maybe it's a question you have. But I want you to take a few moments right around your table right there, discuss those, and then we'll come back together. All right, I know that you could probably talk for hours, but just going to give you a few moments. And one of the reasons that we want to do this is to show you that you can do this. You can sit down with God's Word, and you can observe some things, and you can ask some questions. I kind of combined uh, what was on the front page with observation and was on the second page with questions. So did, does anybody, did anybody write something down? Or anybody hear some other tables like, this was a great question, and if it's really good and hard, then we're going to let Noah answer it, okay? So, does anybody have one that they've written down? By the way, I'm giving him a hard time. The guy's working on his PhD, and by the way, he's going to be so mad at me that I said this. Yesterday, he had all of his oral examinations. It's about three hours, and Noah, you're going to be so mad at me. The man had to read 500 books, study 2,000 years of church history, and sit through how many lectures? A lot. And he had three professors that just asked him questions for about three hours, and he passed. So come on, right there. I can't find my high school diploma, so I'm, I'm telling you, I mean, this guy, he's unbelievable. So, okay, did anybody write a question down or hear something? This is a great observation. Anybody? Anybody? It's okay if no one did. Silence doesn't bother me. Right here. Come on. I'm going to let you use the mic so everyone can hear. Is that Okay. Sure. In verse 4, it says, I say this so that you, no one will delude you with persuasive argument. We asked the question, what were some of the arguments being presented to these people? Awesome. That's exactly what you're looking for right there. And what that causes you to do, that exact thing causes you to do, is step back and not just look at this one verse I'm looking at, but looking at it as a whole of looking at the theme of the whole book to say, what all was he addressing so that we can see what all these issues are? Fantastic. I love that. Great. Anybody else? But when you said a while ago you were reading this and you said that uh, in Christ himself in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, it just hit me and I studied this last spring, the whole book of Colossians, but it hit me. That's exactly right. It's amazing. It's amazing. His word's amazing. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Okay, so here's what I want us to do. I want us to go to the next portion right here. I know you thought I was going to answer your question, and we, we may come back to that, but I think we're running out of time. So, But that's a great question. So, Okay, all right, so um, 
The second piece that Josiah talked about last week was interpret, okay? So he wrote down here, determining what the text means. And I think this would go right in line with the question that he just asked. What were these persuasive arguments that they were talking about? And by the way, it also uses the word philosophy in there. And you know what? Not only in the church of uh, here at Colossians, but in the church today, oftentimes we have groups of people who their theology is built off of their philosophy. Now, I want to make a statement to you. As believers, your philosophy should be built on the foundation of your theology. And we have that backwards oftentimes. And so we've got to be careful what we allow into our thinking, what we allow into our minds, what we allow into our readings. And by the way, there are a lot of people out there that the devil is using, and he's using them mightily. Because if you know anything about the watchtower, which is the paperwork that the Kingdom Hall, the Jehovah's Witness, puts out, if you were to study one of their papers, you would find a whole lot of truth in there. But you're going to find three or four sentences that are so off the target. And it's completely diverting thousands, if not millions, of people. And if we're not rightly dividing the word of truth, it can happen to us. And so we got to be careful. So determining what the text means, what does the text mean to the original audience? So I want you to take a few moments around your table right there, and I want you to talk about that as far as interpretation go. What did it mean to the original audience there? Ready, set, go. Okay. Anything, anybody write anything good down in this interpretation part portion here? So interesting, uh, in regards to the question that the gentleman had written down over here, um, I pulled up just two commentaries very quickly. Uh, Matthew Henry immediately goes back to the serpent back in Genesis chapter 3. And he says, what is the devil's goal? It's to deceive us. That's it. Just to twist it. And so what's happening here and what is believed is that Gnosticism was on the rise and Judaizers were, all, Judaism was, Judaizers were also on the rise. And what they were trying to do is they were trying to twist the scripture and they were trying to pull these new Christians away from what they thought they were believing in. And so that's why verse 6 and 7 goes on to say, be rooted in Christ. Not philosophy, not somebody's ideas, not anybody else's theology but in Christ. Everything we're looking for is found in Christ. So great question. I know that's like a really short answer and there's a whole lot more there, but that kind of gives you a little bit of an idea. It's all about deception. That's, that's the devil's scheme. We were just talking that, you know, Gnosticism and Judaizers are not necessarily on the rise now, but there's all kinds of other things. We got all kinds of things that are slowly pulling people. There are more Southern Baptists going to and joining the Kingdom Hall than there are Jehovah's Witness joining Southern Baptists. It's just a reality. And you want to know why? This is just this is an opinion. Okay, I don't, I don't have a whole lot to back this up other than the latest studies show only 9% of proclaiming evangelicals have actually read through the Bible. And I'm not saying this to hurt anybody's feelings. But if that's the case, what we have are church buildings full of people calling themselves Christians that are biblically, biblically illiterate. And when you're biblically illiterate, you can't stand against the things of this world. Why are our kids graduating high school and leaving the faith in college? Most likely it's because they never had the faith to begin with. Most likely it's because we have not grounded them in the word of God. They're not rooted in Christ. Therefore, they can't see what's false. And what we've got to be praying is, Lord, give me eyes to see. Give me ears to hear. And allow me to see it through the lens of Scripture. That's why you hear the term biblical worldview. It's that literally, just like I'm wearing glasses, I would look at the world through the lens of Scripture. And you should do this for every area of your life. My wife and I utilize this for how we watch movies and TV shows and there's a whole lot of things that we'll sit around a table at dinner with a bunch of friends, and they'll be talking about this movie and this TV show, and we've never seen any of it. I'm not bragging to you. I'm just saying we are weak, and I just know the Bible says flee all appearances of evil. It doesn't just say flee all evil. Flee all appearances of evil. 
So why would I even want to get close to it? As a matter of fact, why would I want to pay somebody else to entertain me with what God says is evil? And so we got to use God's words in that regard. Okay, let's do this. We've got about uh, 19 minutes left, which is perfect. We're going to take about five minutes on this application. Maybe something that you read, maybe a word that jumped out at you, maybe what you just said just about seeing that, that it's this all about Jesus. He's got all the answers. He's got everything we have. Whatever it is, how, what did you see there? And, and Josiah wrote down, what does this mean for us in our lives personally and corporately? Write down at least one way that you can apply this text to your life. Just based off the question that was asked, and looking at Gnosticism and looking that we've got to be rooted in Christ, I mean, for me, i got to dig deeper into this thing so I can be prepared for what the devil's going to throw after me. And by the way, Brother Steve says, you cannot keep the devil from throwing fiery darts at your mind. You can't stop him. What you can do is remove that dart quickly. Psychologists say you've got about seven seconds to make a decision. So when that devil throws that fiery dart, you better pop that thing out, blow it out, and throw it to the ground and move on. Don't let it sit there and marinate. You know why? Marinate. You know why? Because the book of James says that a flame quickly becomes a wildfire. And so that's why we've got to use Scripture. So write something down that maybe is applicable, and then we'll come back, and I want to give you just a very short devotional, really just from one verse that spoke to me out of these ten. Ready, set, go. All right. Just quickly, uh, any piece of application, is there something that you just said, you know what, at our table, we, we, someone said this and it really spoke to me. And any, anything? Anybody? Hold on, hold on. Christ first, you know, just Christ first, just Jesus first. I mean, there's nothing else. That's right. That's it, you know. That's exactly right. Christ first. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Anybody else? About Colossians 2.10, my wife first pointed that out earlier, about how we can draw comfort from that, looking at our world today, looking at our city today, that God, that Christ is in control. He's over all authority and principles. That's right. How good is that? Because if you turn on the TV today, you watch the news or read the newspaper, you're not going to get that encouragement. But we can be encouraged in Christ. So that's great word. Thank you so much. Anybody else? Verse 6. Hold on. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So walk with Jesus every day. Yeah, that's good. Walk with Jesus. Walk with Jesus every day. That's good. Anybody else? Well, this better. Hey, is it going to be as good as the last one? I, I don't know, maybe. Uh <laughs> Verse 2, towards the end, it says, uh, from the full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And like just said, you know, if you lack anything, the source is Christ. Like everything comes from him. And then it reminded me of verse of Psalm 1, chapter 2 through 3. I talked about how you're a tree. Because he brought up the thing about being rooted and how you're rooted in Christ and you're founded in him. It's much better than having a surface root system, like my wife said, deeper. It's good. It's really good. And that's where Bible study, being able to begin to tie those passages together. I remember reading in Proverbs chapter 10 verse 11, I think it is, right around there, it says, out of the mouth of the righteous flows the well of life, out of the mouth of the wicked flows destruction, and I was studying that word well, now I'm from Arkansas and then lived in Alabama, okay, so I just struggle with words, all right, and I thought, what kind of fish is it, whale, you know, no, not a whale, okay, we're talking about a well, that's what you dig down in the ground and hold water in, okay, and boy, that'll really throw the whole context of that verse off if you think we're talking about fish, okay, But when I started looking at it, essentially what it's saying is out of a Christian flows from the well of life. What what is that well? You go over to John chapter 4, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, and he says to her, I can give you water where you'll never thirst again because he is the living water. So when you and I as Christians open our mouths, what should come out of the well of life? Jesus Christ. 
And that's why we walk with him on a daily basis. So I love how we begin to tie those things together. And oftentimes when we just read the Bible for a few moments in the morning, we don't have the time to really ponder and meditate and dig deep into those things. But even just in those five minutes, you only had five minutes, those things will begin to be brought out. And that's the importance of Bible study. Okay. Well, I want to just share a verse or two with you real quick and then just give you a couple things, just three little points and a piece of application that just jumped out at me. And I'm going to begin in verse 6. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. It's what she just read, verse 7. Having been firmly rooted, what he was just talking about, and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude overflowing with gratitude. The three points that I put down on my paper are straight from the text. By the way, the best points you can come up with when teaching or preaching are just straight out of the text, okay? And they're just the words of God, okay? So number one, rooted and built up in him. He's talking about Christians. As this gentleman was just saying, he wasn't talking about surface level, level roots. He's talking about roots that go deep, deep, deep into the ground. And when we're talking about being rooted and built up in Christ, it means that everything we do and everything we look to and our focus is on Christ. We're digging those roots deep in him. We're letting him give us everything we need because he is everything we need. So notice he says, being built up in him and established in your faith. Number two, established in faith as you have been instructed. This immediately took me to what my wife and I read in our Bible reading yesterday in 1 Kings chapter 2, one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament. Now, here's the picture. David is on his deathbed, okay? He has called for Solomon, his son. And I picture it like an old, like, King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. King Arthur's on his deathbed. He's got all the leopard stuff, you know, and he's got his sword beside him, and he can't hardly speak, and he brings somebody real close to him. That's just kind of the picture I have in mind. I'm a very visual person. I just, I picture David not being able to speak very well, and David pulls Solomon really close. And I'm not going to read it to you, but essentially David tells him three things. He says, stand up. Can I just make a statement? Christians need to stand up. He says, be a man, or to interpret it, be a Christian. Stand up for what God has called us to do. And number three, obey God's commands. Obey. Listen, stand up, be a man, obey God's commands. It doesn't get much better than that. And David goes on to tell Solomon, it is not until you do those three things that you'll actually be successful. See, success follows those three things. And so as I was reading this about us being established in faith as you have been instructed, I was just thinking about all throughout God's word. It says, thus says the Lord. It says his laws, his precepts. If you read Psalm 119, it's a whole bunch of verses, and almost every single verse is about God's precepts. I think it's only like three verses that don't mention his laws or precepts or instructions in the whole book, in that whole chapter. It's amazing. It's all about God's word. It'll be a lamp unto a feet, our feet and a light unto our path. And so we're to be established in our faith. In other words, we're not to be wavering, not to be on the fence. You can't serve God and mammon at the same time. It's either one or the other, just as you have been instructed. And then notice what he says at the end of verse 7. He says, just as you have been instructed, and overflowing with gratitude. Number three, overflowing with gratitude. Overflowing with gratitude. Am I overflowing? And like I said, I read in the CSB version, it uses the word thankfulness. I love that word. So here's the application for me. I'm not giving this to you for you. This is what the Lord spoke to me today. Well, <clears throat> this morning. It's this. Does thankfulness flow out of me? You say, is that it? Yeah. It's like a litmus test. You ever have a pop quiz in school? Now, I'm not talking about a four-hour, three professors asking you. I couldn't do that. I'm, I'm just talking about you show up, you don't know anything about it, they give you a little pop quiz, and all of a sudden you get to the end of the pop quiz and you say, yep, I don't know the material at all. Uh, I wasn't ready for that at all. You tricked me. You know, well, you should have been ready for it, okay? That's what this is. Sometimes you're just reading God's word and just boom, it hits you in the face and it's like a pop quiz. And it's like the Lord said to me today, is that's what's coming out of you? Are you thankful or are you worried about what's going on in the world? Are you being ungrateful? Are you discouraged? Are you speaking kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control? 
Or are you pointing people away from the Lord? Because he says to enter his courts with thanksgiving and praise. I'll be honest with you, the last couple weeks as I've entered my time in the mornings with the Lord, it's not been a whole lot of thanksgiving. It's been a whole lot of asking for what I want and need. Just to be perfectly honest with you. It's like the Lord slapped me around a little bit this morning. And he says, is thankfulness oozing out of you? If somebody cuts you with thankfulness flow out of you. That's what the Lord spoke to me. That's how God's word is alive and well. I studied commentaries. I looked at the Bible atlas. I looked at the dictionaries and the concordances. But at the very end, it was the simplicity of the question, does thankfulness flow out of you, that was an application for me right now. And you know what? If I study this passage in two or three weeks, it'll probably be something totally different. And that's why he calls us to study his word. He calls us to study his word. Well, we've come to the end of our time together. If you have any questions about commentaries, concordances, any of that stuff, Ross McGregor, our local missions pastor, is speaking next week, and he will tell you everything you need to know about those things, and uh, he will do a great job. You got, you got something? You, got, you want me to read this? This is something that the Lord... Okay, John six sixty three. It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. Love Jesus. Straight from God's word. That's good. That's good. I want to encourage you, read your Bible every day. I hope you're doing that. But I also want to encourage you to take some time. I don't know when that is. I don't know what it works for you. It may not be three or four hours. It may just be a few minutes here and there but to study God's word. Get some things. Download those things onto your computer or on your phone and use those things and then dig in and ask some hard questions. Because here's what I know. There are things about the Lord I'm never going to understand. As a matter of fact, one of my favorite verses is Deuteronomy 29, 29 that says the secret things are of the Lord. <laughs> there are certain things I'm just, somebody says, well, what do you mean the Trinity? I don't know. Okay, it's in there. All right, I don't understand it. I can lay awake for three nights trying to figure it out. I can't figure it out. I can't wrap my mind around it. Okay, but it's there. There are things. But you know what? What I believe God has given us and the beauty of the scripture is that it can be so complex, but yet so simple. And the reason I know that is because it says it takes the faith of a child to come to Jesus. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for the time that we've had together. I pray your blessings upon these men and women. God, I pray you'll give them a renewed and refreshed desire to read and study your word. And Lord, I pray as your word becomes alive to them, Lord, that it'll jump off the pages. And Lord, you tell us in the book of James, if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. So God, as they seek to draw near to you, would you show yourself to them in a way they've never seen you before? We love you. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.